today on Ag News Daily. Yeah, I'm still very comfortable using about 80 million acres for harvested. Uh, my yield is a 167. So I think these are the biggest numbers that we're going to see from the USDA for this crop. I think they'll backpedal a little bit on, on reports to come. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Well, not a good afternoon. If you are a grains producer and or cattle producer, we had lots of red in the markets today, but we'll get to that in just a little bit with our hashtag Market Monday conversation with the Zaner Group's Ted Seifred. In the meantime, I'm Mike Pearson, joined today by Delaney Howell, who is at the Iowa State Fair. Delaney? I was at the Iowa State Fair, back in the comfort of my own home now. Well, good. How was the fair today? Actually, today it was good because the weather was pretty cool. There weren't a lot of people because it's a weekday. I get I get a little bit of the heebie-jeebies being around that many people. I hear you. Yeah. But I Madison, Hontomp, our summer intern, is at the Iowa State Fair today still. Madison, what are you seeing at the State Fair? Well, it has – the crowds have picked up a little bit now because the sun's out. Um, But my brother's showing today – for showmanship for cattle and so i'm here to watch him and just kind of hang out all right well fun hopefully you'll have a fantastic day uh let's hope well i tell you what delaney yet other than the reports which we'll cover in detail with ted cypher so listeners stick around if you want some analysis on what the numbers from today mean it was kind of a slow news day there were just really one or two other stories that really kind of jumped out did you uh have any that you want to speak about first well I, you mean as far as news goes? As far as news goes. That's kind of the reason we do yeah. this show. Oh, right. You're right. You're right. Um, yes. So one of the pieces of news that came out late Friday afternoon, so we didn't get to talk about it on the Friday podcast, was the EPA's awarding of small refinery exemption waivers from the 2018 Renewable Fuels Standard Compliance. And so far, the EPA has granted 31 of these exemptions for the 2018 year which exempts an estimated 1.43 billion gallons of renewable fuel, which is second only to the 1.8 billion gallons that was exempt in 2017, according to the EPA's dashboard. The agency also announced that six other applications were denied and an application was either withdrawn or declared ineligible, but uh, this ticked a lot of folks off in the Corn Belt areas, some senators and folks... Uh, who advocate for, you know, the the uh, renewable fuel standard, and yeah, not a not a good move for them on a Friday there. No, no, you can definitely tell they scheduled that for a Friday news dump, hoping yeah. it would slide under the radar. But I was at the Iowa State Fair on Saturday, mm-hmm. and that was a huge topic of conversation amongst the uh, the corn growers that I bumped into, mm-hmm. who have been willing to be pretty tolerant of this administration and, you know, the the things that have happened on the trade side. Um, but they were really kind of hoping that perhaps President Trump was being honest about his support for renewable fuels, particularly ethanol. And, oh, man, I tell you, this announcement didn't do, uh, didn't do that confidence any favors. I'll put it that way. Right. It did not. Another thing that didn't do any favors for rural America was President Trump offering Yet again, another pessimistic view on trade talks with China. He was now quoted as saying that the U.S. is not ready to make a deal, but we'll see what happens. He gave this in remarks outside of the White House on Friday and said that the two countries have an open dialogue, but he now he isn't, he isn't even sure if they will be meeting in September. 
Oh, well, you know, uh, that'll be what it'll be. You know, we've it's been 90% done for the last 18 mm-hmm. months, so I guess what's another delay, I suppose. Right. I actually had the chance to talk to Ambassador Branstead. He was at the Iowa State Fair, the Governor Shirty Steer Show on Saturday. Talked to him, and he didn't really have a whole lot of other insight to offer. Well, you got to press him harder. you got to really put the pressure on. He, well, I mean, he did also offer comments that, you know, we were pretty dang close to getting this thing done, and then talks fell apart. So, I don't know. Well, you know, speaking of things falling apart, a lot of our listeners maybe noticed the cattle market kind of fell apart today, limit down in feeders and fat cattle, because also on Friday, there was a huge fire at a Tyson packing facility in Holcomb, Kansas, that has closed the plant indefinitely. And uh, this is a plant that processes just about 3 to 4% of all the beef processed a month. They kill 6,000 head a day. And so now there are some huge concerns that we're going to start to see cattle back up in the pipeline and put on increased weights and see what other packers can increase their capacity. This is a huge story, and it is definitely going to, I would imagine, affect the prices of beef in the supermarket, just as you know, 27 to 30,000 head of cattle Fewer are going to be killed every week until these other plants can up their capacity. But there was some not great news, but I suppose comforting news to the employees of the plant. Tyson said that of all their full-time workers will continue to be paid on a full-time basis until the new plant is up and running or until they've rebuilt Uh, as much of the Holcomb plant as they can. They said that those workers may be required from time to time to come in and help with things like cleanup and all of that. But even if they're just at home, they will be receiving full pay, which I think is a a classy move on behalf of Tyson. Well, yeah, it's not those workers' fault. Right, exactly. But, you know, Tyson doesn't need to pay them, so it's nice that they are. That's true. That is nice. Good job, Tyson. Yeah, and so uh, Steve Stouffer, president of Tyson Meat, said that they are going to be working within the other plants in their, you know, kind of Tyson supply chain or Tyson network to uh, to keep the beef chain full. But, man, it, it is going to create some headaches because, according to a lot of industry experts, slaughter plant capacity nationwide is already running at about 94%, 95%. And now we've got 5% of the kill down. That means everybody's got to go to 100%, which is probably asking quite a bit. Mm, yes, that'll be interesting to see how that uh, shakes out for the cattle industry. Yes, it will. Madison, what news do you have for us today? Um, Well, I just have one quick piece on an update with the ERS relocation. The... We had talked about how employees only had until July 15th to decide whether they wanted to relocate or not, but now it has been pushed back to December 27th. Oh. Also, Yep. So also they have kind of come to an agreement with or the USDA has come to an agreement with the American Federation of Government Employees. And they said that there aren't any blanket promises when it comes to teleworking, but they are having requests come in to telework through at least December 30th of this year with a possibility of different extensions. Um, for those employees that are going to be reporting to Kansas City. Um, Also, the USDA did agree to request approval from the Office of Personal Management to offer incentive payments for these employees that do want to move or are kind of on the fence about relocating or not relocating. Um, But it will equal to about one month's salary 
um, if those employees do choose to move. So maybe we'll okay. see this kind of rolling a little bit more. All right. All right. Well, yeah. So I guess the uh, the lawsuits are proving successful in slowing down the the moving process. So now these mm -hmm. folks have a little more time to kind of, you know, figure out what they want the next stage of their life to look at look like. Will it look like Kansas City and cheering for the Royals, or will they stay in D.C. and cheer for the D.C. team? What is the baseball team? Is it the Senators? The Nationals. The Nationals. 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 You're right. a huge it was the baseball Senators, fan. Like way back in the day, I think. Mm, sure. Uh -huh. Well, I just have one other quick piece of news as well, and that is, you guys, you guys know I'm no pro on sports stuff. Yeah, I mean, you got to step in there. I was, I was impressed the Royals came to mind for Kansas City, but it did so because <laughs> it's the American Royal, you know. So I mean, I'm fairly one track mind. Mm -hmm. um, but we do have news out of the USDA, the uh, Rural Utilities Service Administrator, a guy by the name of Chad Roop or Rupi, I'm not sure, said USDA is going to be investing $181 million to upgrade rural electric systems in 10 states. Um, they're going to spend about $7.5 million to finance some smart grid technologies. And they say those improve system operations and monitor grid security. I don't know what that means, but it sounds like it's going to be a good thing for those states that get it. Um, the financing will be available in 12 different uh, 412 projects in Arkansas, Georgia, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Ohio, South Dakota, Texas, and Wisconsin, all through the electric loan program. So if you're in those states, you might see some uh, improvement in your electric grid, which is good news as we you know, prepare to head into winter. And no doubt we'll see those grids stressed again by uh, Mother Nature. Yes, yes, we will. Well, ladies, that wraps up my news. Delaney, do you have anything else that you need to get off your chest here today? Yeah, I have just a couple quick things here. Um, I guess really just one other piece of news. We look at the MFP payments, which, of course, our signups are going on for now, that second round of market facilitation payments, which you can sign up through your FSA offices. It looks like ag lenders are semi-optimistic now about this crop year. Things maybe have really turned around for them. They say that they well, it, it should help the slow of the erosion of the farm economy over the next three months. And according to a Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City survey that was released last week, just over 40% of bankers, which is in that 10th district, said that farm income was lower this year compared to 60% in 2017 and 75% in 2016. So it does see, seem like we are seeing the trend of less people making less money. Does that make sense? Less people are, more people are making more money, I should say. More, yeah, and so then fewer people are making less money. Right. Yeah, I think, I think I, I smell what you're stepping in there, <laughs> okay. Delaney We're seeing, took, took, took me a minute. Yeah, we're just seeing trends of people who are starting to become more profitable as opposed to less profitable in the past couple of years. Well, that's good news. It is. Well, I tell you what, Madison, any further news from you? I'm all out of news, Mike. Let's take a look at the markets. All right. Well, and as I mentioned, it was a red day on the screen. Not a great day for producers. Decent day if you're an end user. As I mentioned, in the corn market, September finished limit down 25 cents to the downside at 385 and a quarter. December also limit down today at 392 and three quarters. In soybeans, the August was down 12 and a quarter cents under pressure from the corn market. Finished today at 861 and a half. September, excuse me, November new crop down 12 and a half cents to finish the day at 879 and a quarter. 
in Chicago wheat. That SEP contract dropped 27 and three quarter cents to finish at 471 and three quarters. December down 25 and a quarter, finished the day at 476 and a quarter. Jumping over to livestock, as I mentioned earlier, live cattle limit down across the board. In the August contract, they were $3 lower at 105.05. October also $3 lower at 103.75. Same story, different verse in feeder cattle. The September contract limit down closed 450 lower at 133.95. The October also limit down at 133.75. In lean hogs, really one of the only spots of green on the screen today. The August contract was up 15 cents at 79.17.50 with the October up a dime finishing the day at 67.07 and a half. Mixed trade in the dairy industry today with that August class 3 milk contract unchanged at 17.61 and the September down 12 closing up at 17.75. Delaney, why don't you tell us who we're talking to? Oh, no, excuse me. I can do that. We're talking to Ted Seifert today for our hashtag Market Monday conversation. So stay tuned. All right, folks. Well, it is hashtag Market Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. We're joined by Ted Seifert. Ted, how you doing today? Woo. Doing all right. Need a little breather after it's today's Monday. price action. Yeah, yeah. It's uh Kind of a wild Monday here, you know? Absolutely. So the big story was, of course, USDA WASDE was released today. Mm-hmm. We also had uh, resurvey data from uh, uh, corn and soybean acreage, well, from everything. All, and we had FSA uh, plant acres, or prevented plant acres released. Right. Of those, Ted, what was the biggest story today in your mind? Uh, certainly the, cor- the corn report uh, and, on the WASDE, so the NASS acres and yield uh, production, the whole thing. Uh, <clears throat> Planted acres for corn, 90 million acres, well above the trade guesses, uh, above the high end of the range of trade guesses. Harvested acreage at 82 million acres, well above the high end of the range, range of trade guesses. And then the production number, you know, 13.901 billion bushels. The average trade guess was 13.19. So, yeah. It was uh, a yeah. 750 million bushel difference. Yes, right. Um, and so, what that did is that had ending stocks coming in sharply above expectations. Uh, you know, the trade was looking for about a 1.6 billion bushel carryover. It came in well over 2.1. So a very bearish report for corn, a very different story than what we were painting back in June when we were concerned about getting the acreage planted and everything like that. Well, we got the acreage planted. Now, here's my thing. Uh, with the national average yield, the USDA using a 169.5, uh, that's a bigger number. You know, and, and I don't know if a world exists where we have 90 million acres of planted acreage and a 169.5 national average yield. Uh, because it, it seems to me that a good 15 to 20 percent of that came in or got planted in late June. Right. So will that corn make it to the finish line? How will it yield? Uh, to me, that yield number seems high if we're gonna if if we're gonna use 90 million acres for planted acreage, which I, that that doesn't bother me so much. It's the yield I think is too high or the harvested acreage number is too high or a combination of the two. What's your what's your harvested acres percentage in your head right now? Yeah, I, I still think it's about a 90%. So okay. I, so for me, I'm still very comfortable using about 80 million acres for harvested. Uh, my yield is a 167. So I think these are the biggest numbers that we're going to see from the USDA for this crop. I think they'll backpedal a little bit on, on reports to come. Uh, I'm still thinking that we're going to be between a 1.7 and a 1.8 billion bushel carryover. 
But what this report really does is it kind of puts to rest the whole $5 or $5.50 corn story that we were all talking about back in June. I think at this point we can hope for a bounce back up to maybe four and a quarter or so. Okay. Uh, and that I, I do think we're going to have a halfway decent harvest rally this year because of the risk that we'll have for an early frost and, you know, debating on whether this crop will get to the finish line or not. Uh, I also think there's a good chance for a soybean rally too because the soybean report in my book was – maybe the most interesting part of the report. Obviously, the the knee-jerk reaction came from the sticker shock of the corn report, but look at the soybeans. I mean, a 76.7 planted acreage number. I mean, that is much lower than what the trade was expecting. What what were trade expectations coming into the report? Yeah, I mean, the trade, the the low end of the trade guesses were 78, but most people were looking for for above 80 million acres for soybeans. So coming in 76.7, I mean, that's... That's a low number, and that's with uh, the USDA not increasing or, or not touching the yield. They left it at 48.5, and given the conditions that we have, um, I would think that number can come down. Now, I understand that the USDA doesn't like to lower soybean yield aggressively in August. That's more of a September report yep. thing, but if conditions don't improve and the, and the current forecast verifies, I think there's some significant downside potential in that soybean yield. And we might actually be in a tight soybean situation even without a trade deal to China. So, you know, in my book, I feel like soybeans can rally a dollar to a dollar fifty or so uh, potentially. And if they do that, that's where the corn strength could come from again. That was my next question. Will weakness in corn hinder soybeans' ability to rally, or can the soybean story pull corn higher? What, which do you think has more no, I think credibility? This, I think the soybean story can pull corn higher because, again, you know, there's a lot of skepticism about the USDA's corn numbers, and we still don't know, you know what weather's going to look like mm-hmm. in September uh, when we're going to get that first frost. So we're going to be sort of on edge for the corn anyways. If the, if the soybeans can get that story rolling, then I think, uh, then I think the corn will follow. Now, Again, we talked about the production side of soybeans. I, I think our production number ultimately is going to drop for soybeans. Usually when the USDA drops production, uh, they also lower demand too. Right. But, you know, look at what the USDA has done with soybean demand. I mean, we're at 1.775 billion bushel export number. That is a, a low ball number. We already have very low expectations for our soybean demand this mm-hmm. year. So there's not a lot of fat to trim on, on the soybean demand side of the balance sheet. So if we start lowering production... I think that has uh, a significant impact on on ending stocks. We're not going to offset. We're not going to be able to offset it with lower demand, at least not as much as we have in corn. So, I think there's a, a again, there's a good chance that we're going to see a sub 500, maybe even a sub 400 million bushel carryover in soybeans. And to me, that suggests maybe 1050 soybeans, Jan beans at some point. All right. Now, well, let's talk price action a little bit. We saw the corn market go limit down at 11.01 or 11.03 yep. right after the market, right after the reports were released. Stayed there pretty much the rest of the day. We had a brief five-minute blip back up above it and then went limit and closed limit down. Ted, what does that mean when you look at it from, from your perspective as somebody who's viewed these markets for a long time? What do you anticipate in the open tonight and then, of course, during the, the day tomorrow? Are, is this something folks are going to buy back or is there more selling pressure ahead given just the absolute shock of this number? Well, for one, I think that, uh, well, for one, we're going to have expanded limits to, in corn mm-hmm. But for two, you know, looking on the close, there was a little over 50,000 contracts being offered at limit down for corn. That would suggest that we're going to be heavier again in the night session and into tomorrow. Um, we were watching synthetics throughout the day, and they were trading another 3 to $0.05 cents lower than, than limit down in corn. So I would say minimally we'll be down 5 to $0.07, cents, I would say, on the open. I would not be surprised if we were quite a bit heavier than that at some point. 
but when the dust does start to settle, um, I think the soybeans are going to try to take the lead and push higher. Okay. And I think corn will start to come back. But really, you know, I, we need the dust to settle. We probably have a little bit more to the downside. Then we're going to trade sideways for a little while. I'm kind of thinking we're going to put our harvest low in towards the end of the month of August. Okay, typical. And then, yeah, and then, uh, and then try to rally it probably through the end of December. And I, and I see the upside potential back to somewhere between that 415 and 440 area All right. in, in December corn. And then kind of wait and see what happens on the January report, final numbers, see how they shake out and what the USDA... Well, you know, then we'll start talking about planting for next year. Right. And, you know, a lot of that's obviously going to depend on what happens with the South American crop and so on and so forth. But, you know, if the beans can manage to rally, maybe we won't plant 100 million acres of corn next year, but, you know, we'll see. Now... The corn market wasn't the only one that was limit down today. We also had live cattle and feeder cattle yeah. go limit down. Uh, on the news of the, the Holcomb fire, the Tyson plant there in Holcomb, Kansas, right. uh, burned down Monday night. That right. plant has been closed or will be closed indefinitely. Tyson did say they will rebuild. But, Ted, when we get news like this that you know, that plant processes 3 to 4% of the entire cattle industry or yeah. the entire cattle production in the country, yeah. how many limit down days could be ahead when you look at the cattle market? Yeah, that's a very good question, and we're really trying to figure that one out. Um, it's a lot easier to look at a corn report and say, here's the numbers and here's the impact, and, and you know, we've got a good, clear message there. Right. With this, it's a little bit more gray area. It's a little bit more difficult. You know, how, many, how many of the facilities can, can start to pick up that slack or not? And, and really, I don't think, at least I don't have concrete answers to that. Um, I would think that we wouldn't have, you know, four or five days to limit down. I do think we'll be under pressure here to start the day tomorrow. But I would also think that at some point we should start to pick that up because think about it. I mean, uh, box beef prices should probably catch some bids. While we're not probably going to see cash cattle trade overly strongly this week, that might start to recover, you know, for next week. Um, I would expect more limit down there, but I'm not, I'm not as sure about, you know, what I, what I see going forward for cattle yet because I'm still I'm still learning more about it. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, it's not mad cow. It's not something that right. could impact the whole herd. It is a fire that other plants hopefully can pick up some yeah, processing exactly capacity. Right. Yeah, and it's not going to hurt demand. See, that's right. the key is, you know, in, in the case of mad cow, you've got consumers that get skittish and, and yeah. so on and so forth. In this case, we still want our beef. You know, that's not going to hurt demand at all. So it's... A, it's a, it's a matter of time, and, and how much time will that take? And that's the question that we don't really have an answer to right now. All right. Well, now, we didn't get a chance to talk about wheat. Any, any stories of the day here in the wheat market, Ted? You know, for the most part, the wheat came out not far off of trade expectations. It was under a significant amount of pressure um, because of what happened for the corn report, you know, just like soybeans were. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, though, you know, wheat is going to continue to be a follower. So if, if corn and soybeans can find some footing, then I think wheat is going to follow that along as well. Uh, this is a time of year where you know we're wrapping up harvest, so the harvest pressure should be thinning out at this point. Uh, I don't see a, a tremendously bullish story for wheat, mm-hmm. but you know if we can get corn to balance at some point, maybe led by soybeans, then I think cor- then wheat will come with. Uh, but again, I, I think it's, it's it might be too early. It might be a little bit premature to talk about hey, putting a low in for corn because again we're still right in the thick of it. We're going to open lower, I think, likely tonight, and and so you know we got to let the dust settle here. But once that happens, then we can start talking about okay, how how far can we balance, and so on and so forth. So it sounds like the gist of what you're saying is no panic sales here over the next couple of days for for producers sitting on either unpriced last old old crop grain or on new new crop grain. Well, Mike, unfortunately, that's kind of how this works. You know, like um, 
you know, you, you, you have end users talking about how it's been very difficult to source corn lately. Yeah. Um, because guys have been holding on so very tightly. Well, well, aiming for that $5, Ted. Aiming for the $5, but then you get a report like this, and now that'll, that'll probably shake some cash loose. So okay. that'll be part of the selling pressure that we have here over the next couple of days. But then beyond that, yeah, if you can't hold on and look for a recovery, then I, I would suggest trying to do that. But hopefully guys have been pretty aggressive about making sales. You know, I, I've, I've been asking my guys to be 65% sold uh, at this point. So hopefully that's where we're at. Um, I don't know. You know, it, it depends on, on who you are and if, you, if, <laughs> if you're listening to guys it. like me or not. I mean, you know, but, uh, but no, unfortunately, I think we'll see some cash movement here over the next few days. All right. Well, Ted Seifert, tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you to explore some options in greater detail. Yeah, absolutely. You can reach me directly at 312-277-0113, or you can find us on the web at www.zaner, that's Z-A-N-E-R.com. Uh, uh, you can read a bit about us. You can also sign up for our Ag Hedge newsletter. And if you're on Twitter, you can find me at, at the Ted Spread. Absolutely. And he is worth a follow, folks, even though he's wrong about what constitutes a sandwich. No. We'll pick that up later. Ted Seifert, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us. Well, again, a big thank you there to Ted. It sounds like you guys had a great conversation on not such a great market Monday day, Mike. Yeah, yeah. You know, some some fundamental things might have changed today, but as always, we will stay close, keep an eye on these markets, and bring our findings to our listeners. And if our listeners want to get caught up on any past findings that we have discovered, Madison, where should they go to find them? Well, Mike, listeners can always find us at our website at globalagnetwork.com slash agnewsdaily, but they can also find us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, really wherever you can find podcasts. But uh, also, if they want to kind of connect with us on social media, if they have any questions or comments, concerns, um, they can find us at Ag News Daily and at Global Ag Network on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Fantastic. Listeners, be sure to check those places out. Be sure to like them. Send us your pictures of your state fairs and also of your crops. We want to see all of it. We're gluttons for information. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. 